Hey there, I'm Joey Dean, lead pastor of South Lakes Church in Oklahoma City. At South Lakes Church, we exist to be radically devoted to God, relentlessly committed to true community, and remarkably passionate for the lost. We hope your faith is strengthened and you grow closer to Jesus as you listen this morning. Now let's jump into this week's message. Well, good morning, church. How are we doing? Hey, so I think the tomb is still empty, amen? I'm pretty sure that it is. Hey, I got news for you, though. The tomb is still empty next week, too. And the next week, and the next week, and the next week. I'm just letting everyone know. So um, it's not like uh, the hedgehog, not the hedgehog, the, uh, the groundhog. So um, I am glad that you're here this morning. We had a great first service and uh, man, the spirit really moved, and I'm excited to be here with you this morning. And uh, man, I just love Easter Sunday. I had a pastor friend ask me, "Hey, how many people do you think are going to be in your services?" And I said, "Hey, bud, I only need one. So uh, it doesn't take much for this guy to get hyped up to preach to people. And so whether there's one or there's thousands, it doesn't matter. Man, we're talking about a resurrected Savior today, and that's enough to get jacked up about. You know what I'm saying? That's awesome stuff right there. And so this morning, um, we're going to take a little bit of a break from what we have been doing. And if you're like, I'm not tracking, what do you mean? So what we've been doing as a church is that starting on January 1, we literally started reading through the Bible together as a church from Genesis, and we're marching all the way through to Revelation. And on Sundays, wherever we are in the Bible reading, we're just preaching on that. And so people go, hey, what's your sermon series that you're doing this year? I'm like, walk through the Bible. Like, that's our sermon series. It's it's, it's a 52-week series. Um, But... I don't want people to jump into the middle of a story and be a little confused. It's kind of like walk, uh, walking in to, uh, to the middle of a movie, right? You show up late to the movie theater and you miss the first 30 minutes and you're like, who is everyone in this story? And so what we're going to do this morning is in the same vein of what we're trying to do of go through the entire Bible, I want to preach the entire Bible to you this morning. Yeah, I'm just going to do it. So um, don't worry. We've got ham. It's waiting in the lobby, and it's going to be awesome. But a deviled eggs, oh, it's going to be so good. Ashley Kurtz made dessert. I'm telling you what, it's awesome. So hallelujah right there. Um, now, what we're going to do is that I want to show you from Genesis all the way through Revelation, I want to show you how the Bible demonstrates to us that God loves mankind beyond comprehension. I'm going to show you that this morning. And so in order to do this, I want to talk to you about a specific thing. I want to talk to you about keep out signs this morning. And we're going to talk about what that means here in a minute. But before we get started, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? We're going to pray. And we always start out the same way here at South Lakes. And we're just going to ask you to pray two prayers. Here's the first prayer. I'm going to give you just about 30 seconds to pray this in your heart. Would you say, God, help me to be present in this moment And then secondly, would you say, God, will you speak to me personally this morning? And Father, we just come to you in the most holy, resurrected name of Jesus. And Father, we ask that you would just speak into our heart language this morning. Would you speak into brokenness? Would you speak into joy? 
Would you speak into maybe temptations that we're feeling, or would you speak into the good weeks or the bad weeks? Would you speak into our heart this morning, and would you show us what the love of a father looks like? And so, God, we give these next several moments to you, and we ask that just as mightily as you moved in the first service, that you would even move more mightily this morning during the second. We love you, and we thank you. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, grab a Bible, and uh, you're going to turn to Genesis, the first book of the Bible. We're going to make it really simple on you this morning. Genesis chapter 2. Also, hopefully you were handed sermon notes on the way in, or what I always like to do is go to the, uh, the app store. You can download our South Lakes app, and... Um, That's how you can keep up with everything, but also all of our notes are online as well. And so I would encourage you, also there's a QR code at the bottom of your notes. You can just scan that and it'll take you straight to the the sermon notes this morning. I want to encourage you to take notes this morning because this morning I want to talk to you about keep out signs. And I want to talk to you, what is the purpose of a keep out sign? Like, what is the purpose of people posting keep-out signs? Much like this. We're going to show this picture here. This is a picture of a keep-out sign or a danger sign that you might find on a fence. So why do people do this? Why do corporations do this? Why do we post signs like this? And as I was processing and thinking about the purpose of keep-out signs, there's really two main purposes for all keep-out signs. The first one is this. It's to protect us from harm. Right? So you're walking in, you throw the ball. You know, our, my kids are always throwing their ball or the frisbee over the neighbor's fence, right? And when they go, hey, can I go get, the, get into the backyard and get, get, the, uh, get the ball? And I'm like, well, what's on the side, on the, on the fence? And on the fence is danger, beware, my dog will bite you, right? And I'm like, you probably should knock on the door, all right? Because that sign is there to protect you from harm. If you walk up to some place and it says danger, high voltage, you're probably going to be really careful about the things that you are touching. There's a second purpose, though, of keep out signs, and that's this. It's to keep us from going places that we do not belong. It keeps us from going places that we do not belong, probably because you just don't have the access to get there. I, I went uh, on base uh, about a year ago, and I went to the changing of command of one of the battalions out there. And you know what? It's a funny thing. They just wouldn't let me on tinker. In fact, they had to get my name in the system. I had to give them my, my, um, my driver's license, and there was a whole lot of things And then when I got past the gate, they go, hey, you're going to go park at this building. And when I got to the building, they wouldn't let me into the building. Why? Because I didn't have access to it. That's what keep out signs do. That's They keep us from going places that we don't belong. I hope to go take my kids to Disneyland one day. I don't think they're going to let me go backstage Disney. Why? Because I'm not a princess, all right? They're just not going to let me back there. But there really are two purposes for keep out signs. They want to protect us from harm and they want to keep us from going places that we don't belong. So let's talk about creation. So in the beginning, God said, let there be light and there was light. And so day one, day two, day three, he creates things like the sky and he creates the land and he creates stars and he creates all this really cool stuff. We get to day four, five, six. He's creating birds and he's creating sea animals and he's creating flowers. And on day six, he creates the pinnacle of his creation. He creates mankind. And he blesses them. 
And his relationship with mankind is way different than any other in any of the other creation. Because it says that God would actually come down in the cool of the evening and he would hang out with man. They would commune, just like you and I are talking. Just like if we were to go out to Starbucks and grab a cup of coffee. That's what they would do. And what happens is that when God creates man and he's communing with man, he says, hey, listen, you, can, you have free reign. In fact, I'm giving you dominion over the world. But there's one place, there's one thing you can't do, and God puts his first keep out sign into the ground. In fact, we're going to read about that. Look in Genesis chapter 2, look in verse 15. It says, the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. And here's here's your keep out sign. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So the first keep out sign is this. It was to protect the pinnacle of his creation from harm. You can go touch the tree. You can go smell the tree. You could lick the tree if you wanted. But you can't eat the fruit on the tree. Why? Because it will harm you. In particular, it will bring you death. Well, man didn't last that long until he decided, you know what, I don't really like God's keep out sign. In fact, I don't think that what God is trying to protect us from is really that bad. And so man decided, I'm going to do my own thing. And they disobey God, and they ignore the keep outside, and they go up to the tree, and they pluck off whatever it is. It could have been an apple. It could have been, I, I don't know. And they take a bite. And what happens is that through the act of disobedience, something catastrophic occurred. Sin Sin came into the world. Now, if you were my six-year-old and I were describing sin to you, this is the simplest way that I describe sin to my kids. Sin is literally the opposite of God. That's what sin is. Would God ever lie? No. It's a sin. Would, would God ever steal a piece of bubble gum? No. It's a sin. Would God ever have words that are not edifying come out of his mouth? To demean others? No. It's a sin. Would God kill, steal, any of those things? It's a sin. And here's the thing about sin. Sin literally ruins everything. It literally ruins everything. And so here's the thing. God begins to change what his keep out signs look look like. The first one was just a verbal keep outside. Hey, don't eat that. So let's just, let's keep going on and let's read. So after they eat the fruit, God comes down and he's like, Adam, Eve, where are you? Because he hangs out with them in the evening. And he can't find them. And it's not because God doesn't know where they are. It's because God is needing them to confess what's going on. And so they pop out and they are dressed in twigs and leaves. And he's like, what in the world is this? And they go, well, you know that keep out sign? You know how you said don't you do that? You know how you said bad things would happen? Well, we did it. We did it. And so what God does is he begins to say, all right, 
well, let's lay out some consequences because I was trying to protect you from harm. So let's lay out what happens now. And so he just lays out all these consequences, but here's the big one. Look in verse 23 of chapter 3, Genesis 3, verse 23. The last consequence was this. It said, therefore, the Lord God sent man out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. All of a sudden, the keep out sign is not a verbal warning. The keep out sign is what's called a cherubim. He kicks them out of the garden, and he puts a cherubim at the entrance. You go, well, what's a cherubim? In the simplest definition, a cherubim is simply this. It's a warrior angel. It's a warrior angel. And so he places this warrior angel at the entrance of the garden. It has a flaming sword, and you do not want to mess with warrior angels, okay? You do not win against warrior angels. But remember the purpose of keep-out signs. The keep-out signs, one, they keep us from going places that we don't belong. Well, guess what? Adam and Eve don't belong in the garden anymore. Why? Because Isaiah 59.2 tells us, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. So they were walking perfectly because they, they there was nothing separating them. And when man said, I choose to ignore the keep-out sign, all of a sudden there was this gulf that existed between a holy God and an unholy holy man, and man was no longer allowed to be in the garden where God was. But remember, the keep-out sign is also there to protect us from harm. And you go, well, what do you mean protect us from harm? Well, I put it this way. So several hundreds of years later, um, Adam... Uh, um, Mo, there's a guy by the name of Moses, and Moses led the liberation of two and a half million plus Jews from slavery out of Egypt. And so God says, I want you to meet me on this mount called Mount Sinai. So Moses goes up to Mount Sinai, and they're having a conversation. And Moses has a request in Exodus 33. He goes, hey, God, I would like to see you face to face. And God says, well, what you've asked is actually an impossibility because it's impossible for man to look upon me and live. And you go, why is that? Because you have a holy God and you have a wicked, unrighteous, unholy person. And if you put holiness and unholiness in the room together, holiness wins every time. Think of it like this. Let's say that you walk into a pitch black room. I'm talking about you can't see your hand in front of your face and you're feeling along the wall and you find the light switch and you turn it on. What happens to the darkness? It flees. It goes away. Why? Because light always wins. Light always trumps darkness, always. Holiness always trumps unholiness or unrighteousness. So man in a sinful state cannot be in the presence of God. Why? Because he would just cease to be. He would just cease to be. You go, what does that mean? I don't know, but I don't want to find out. So he puts the cherubim, the warrior angel, at the entrance of the garden. Why? To say, well, you can't come in anymore. You're not welcome here because of sin. And if you could come back in, then what would happen is that you would just cease to be because you cannot be in my presence and live. But in the midst of all these consequences, in the midst of all of this, these judgments that are being handed down by God, God speaks a word of hope over them. And he says, listen, I'm not giving up on you. 
And though I'm banishing you from my presence, for your own good, by the way, you don't deserve to be in my presence anymore, and you couldn't survive if you were in my presence. But I have a plan, and my plan is this. I'm going to rip up the keep-out sign one day. So let's fast forward. If you're in your Bibles... Go to the right one book. We're going to go to Exodus, Exodus chapter chapter 26, all right? Like I said, we're keeping it super simple today. We're not doing a sword drill or anything. So it's, we're in the first two books. Exodus 26. So remember I said that Moses is on top of Mount Sinai, and he's conversing with God, and, and he's giving things like the Ten Commandments. You know, don't kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery, honor your father and mother, I'll put God first, you know, watch your words, you know, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy, all of those commandments, you know? But in the midst of him commuting or talking to Moses, God wanted his people to remember something. It is absolutely wonderful for man, for the pinnacle of my creation, to live with me. However, sin has stopped that from happening. And so in the midst of all these rules that God gives, he also gives very intricate details, building plans, to a special building that's called the temple. And so the temple would be set up in the middle of the Jewish campground, all right? So you would have 12 tribes that would be all scattered around, and you would have the temple in the middle of the campground. And in the middle of the temple was a special place, a special room called the Holy of Holies, where God would literally come down from heaven, and he would reside in the middle of the temple in the Holy of Holies. What a sight to behold, I'm sure. There was just one problem. In the midst of all these instructions, look in Exodus 26. We're going to read in verse 31. God tells Moses, And you shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, and it shall be made with cherubim skillfully worked into it. Oh, there's our warrior angels. And you shall hang it on four pillars of acacia overlaid with gold, with hooks of gold on four bases of silver. And you shall hang the veil from the clasps, and you shall bring the ark of the testimony in there within the veil. The ark of the testimony is just the throne room of God on earth. And the veil shall separate for you the most holy place from the most holy. So they build this temple. They build this room in the middle of the temple called the Holy of Holies. They bring the throne room of God or the the throne of God into the Holy of Holies where God is going to come down. He's just going to metaphorically, he's going to sit on the throne room of God. He's going to be there. And then God says this, hey, I want you to put a giant keep out sign on the door. And this keep out sign is not a flaming sword being held by a warrior angel. No, this time it's a giant curtain with warrior angels woven into the tapestry. Now remember the purpose of keep-out signs. Protect us from harm and to keep us from going places that we don't belong. Well, God is very clear that no one can enter into the Holy of Holies and live. In fact, there was only one person that was allowed to enter the Holy of Holies. He was the high priest and he would come up one time a year and he, then there was just a lot of pomp and circumstance that had to go into him entering into the Holy of Holies. A lot of washing, a lot of atonement through the spilt blood of animals. And when he was finally ready, when he would get all dressed up for how God prescribes, he would go into the Holy of Holies. But just in case something went wrong, they sewed bells onto the bottom hem of the garment and they tied a rope around his leg. 
Because if he walks in and he drops dead, no one can go recover him so they can pull him out. No one can enter the Holy of Holies and live. And the only reason the high priest was able to was to offer a sacrifice for the sins of the nation. And so this veil represents that a holy God is separated from a sinful man. Why? Because of the gulf. Because of the gulf that was put there because God said, I don't want to pay attention to your keep out sign. And this, man, this was a huge keep out sign. So it was 60 feet tall. So the, ape, the, the top of our ceiling is a little over 20 feet. So it's three times larger than the, the, the roof of our, of our worship room. It was 30 feet wide. So from either outer wall to the, about the middle, that's about 30 feet. And according to Jewish tradition, it was one inch thick. In fact, Jewish tradition tells us that it took 300 priests to manipulate the curtain in such a way so that the high priest could actually get in. It was a giant keep out sign that no one would be able to go through. It was you would walk in and you would see on the other side of that curtain is where God is and there was no way to get to him because the curtain stopped it. And so for the rest of the Old Testament, God sends prophet after prophet after prophet to tell two things. Number one, it is better to be in the presence of God. That's where God desires us to be. That's how he designed it to be for the pinnacle of creation to be residing in the presence of God. But the second thing is this. We can't get there because of sin, but a solution is coming. And after a long time of waiting, the solution finally arrives on the scene. It's going to be Luke. Don't worry about turning there. But up on the screen, we're going to read Luke chapter 2, and this is going to sound very familiar probably. It says this, In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And you go, wait, I thought that I was here for Easter, but we just were transported to Christmas. Yes, that's right. The solution came in a very unconventional way that people were not looking for. I mean, can we just be honest? The keep out signs were pretty incredible. I mean, a warrior angel with a flaming sword, a 60 foot tall by 30 foot wide by one inch thick curtain with giant warrior angels woven in. Now that's cool. And the solution is a baby born in a cave. There was no heralds that came and said, the baby's here. The long-awaited promise is here. No one came up to, 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 to be there so when the, the dad could carry out the baby and say, my son is here. No. No one was even looking for him except for a couple of some pagans 4,000 miles to the east who just happened to be astrologers and God put a special star in the sky and they go, well, that's special. We should go check that out. And this is pretty much mimics how Jesus' life was. Jesus grew up a carpenter, nothing special. 
In fact, one of the complaints against Jesus when he started doing some really cool things is people in his hometown would be like, wait a second, this is just a carpenter. Like, didn't this guy build our crib for our kid? Like, really? But he would go around and he would say things like, guess what? I'm the son of God. I'm the son of God. He would say things like, hey, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. And the kicker was this, John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Well, now that that resonates. Why? Because there's this giant gulf, and God, the holy God, is on this side, and man's on this side, and we're trying to get across that, and Jesus says, you want to get to the other side? You want to get through the curtain? You want to throw away the keep out sign? It's through me. It's through me. And Jesus lived his life, and he never did anything wrong. He never sinned. He always obeyed what his parents said. Can I get a hallelujah from parents? That would be amazing. Uh-huh. When the other guy in, in, in the far right lane cut him off with his camel, he never waved a special finger at him. He never stubbed his toe. I'm sure he stubbed his toe, but he never said things that were in the heart that just came out. He never belittled people to make them feel small and useless and insignificant. And he would say things like, I just came to do what God wants me to do. And he would spend a lot of time praying. And he would just, he would just go up by himself in the morning. He'd pray and he'd come down. And he'd say, all right, well, this is what we're doing today. God says this is what we're doing. And he would do things like, man, he made the lame walk and he made the mute talk and he made the blind see and he made the deaf hear. He told storms to go, shh. He walked on water. He fed 15,000 people with two lo- uh, five loaves of bread and two fish. You know how he did it? He prayed. <laughs> he says, God, we don't have enough food. I, you can do this. And then he just started breaking the bread, and it was like a chia pet. It just kept growing. You know what I'm saying? It was just crazy. And this is what Jesus did. Jesus even visited the temple in Jerusalem where that giant keep-out curtain was. And one day, the preachers of the day just had enough. They didn't like his popularity. They didn't like the things he was saying. They would say, you are not the son of God. That is blasphemy. We're going to get you dead. And so here's what happens. They take Jesus. They arrest him in the garden. He sold out for 30 pieces of silver, which is about the equivalent of $200. So it was a cheap sellout. They arrest him at night. They try him in the the middle of of night so that no one really knows what's going on. They tie him up, strip him naked. They beat him within an inch of his life. They take a crossbar and they go, you're going to carry this up that hill. 
and he starts to carry it, but because of his loss of blood, he stumbles and he trips and he can't do it. So they call this guy by, out of the crowd, Simon of Cyrene. And they go, well, you're going to carry the rest of the cross. So they carry the cross up there. And then Jesus, they lay him out naked on the ground and they drive stakes into his hands, into his arms. And they make sure that he's set up on a trade route that lots of people can walk by and see. And they walk by and they spit at him and they mock him and they ridicule him. And Jesus hangs up there on the cross for all the world to see. In fact, the book of Isaiah tells us that Jesus was unrecognizable as a man. That's how bad he was beaten. Unrecognizable as a man. But here's what happens. is that that promise that God made all the way back in Genesis 3, where he says, hey, listen, I'm going to take care of that, that keep out sign. He removes it finally. Mark 15, it's going to be up on the screen here. It says, And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema shabachnai, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry. And another one of the gospel writers tells us that he cries out, it is finished. And he breathes his last. And then check out what happens to the keep out sign. And the curtain of the temple. You know the 60 foot tall one? 30 foot wide, one inch thick, took 300 men to manipulate. It was torn in two. Not because someone took a pair of scissors to the bottom and started pulling it apart. It tore from the top down. I don't think they had 60-foot ladders. It tore. You know what happened? Is that God took that. And when Jesus cried, it is finished. He tore it in half. Now, why would God do that? The Old Testament tells us that there is one thing, one fix for sin, the thing that separates us, and that's death. Death. And so they killed a lot of animals in the Old Testament, a lot of animals. And then they would take the blood, and it would symbolically cover their, cover their sins, but it's kind of like taking a Band-Aid on a compound fracture, it might work for a little bit, but eventually the band-aid just falls off. It just doesn't work. And so when Jesus shows up on the scene, I remember I said he was perfect. Never did anything wrong. Always listened to mom and dad. He was great. When the time came for him to die, he wasn't deserving of death. He wasn't. Why? Because he didn't do anything wrong. And so when they took him and they beat him within an inch of his life, beyond recognition, and they nailed him to the cross, when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here's what happens, is that in that moment, God literally takes all of his wrath that is saved for mankind as punishment for sin, and he poured out all of the wrath on Jesus. All of it. Every ounce. And when it was done, that's why... Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because for the first time in Jesus' life, he felt lonely because he didn't know where God was. 
Because God had to turn his back on his son. Why? Because Jesus became the thing that we are. He took all the sin, and God says, I can't, I just can't look. I want to, you're my son, and I want to be there for you, but I am holy, and right now you are not. And he turned his back. And when Jesus says, it is finished, it means the wrath of God had been satisfied. And there was no need for a keep out sign anymore. And so he tore that 60-foot tall, 30-foot wide, one-inch thick curtain. He tore it in half like a piece of paper. And if that wasn't enough, like if you needed a little bit more proof, well, I got some more for you. Mark 16, let's keep reading. It says, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they could go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back, and it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, Don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified? He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Jesus says, if, if the curtain ripping in half wasn't enough, maybe that was just a coincidence. Maybe that was luck. Maybe it was just an old tattered curtain and it, its time had finally come. Then Jesus says, try this one out. And he walks out of the grave in his own power, saying, hey, how's that for you? I just defeated death. I just defeated the thing that you, that awaits you. Death awaits us all. And Jesus says, guess what? Death couldn't hold me. It couldn't contain me. Death has been defeated. Where is its sting now? And he walked out triumphantly, proving, yes, the keep out sign has been removed. And now what happens is now that the keep out sign is removed, he replaces it with something. You know what he replaces it with? A welcome mat. And that welcome mat says, welcome in. Welcome in. Hebrews 10 tells us this. Hebrews 10, 19 says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, well, that's the place that was separated by the curtain, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a, new, a great high priest over the house of God, he says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That keep out sign was removed. And the thing that separated us from the presence of God from the beginning when man says, I will choose my own way, all of a sudden that has been removed and replaced by a welcome in sign and access is now available to everyone who believes in faith. When Je- I said the most important thing that Jesus said is I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus was saying, you want to get through the curtain? You want to get across the chasm? You want to get to where God originally intended for all of man to be? Then I am the key. I am the key. 
and you got to deal with me if you want to get to him. And the only way to get to him is if you have faith in me. You go, have faith in me how? you got to believe that he really was who he said he was, the son of God, that he came to die on the cross for us, that he paid the penalty that deserves us, and that he is the only way to get to God. I love Romans 10, 9 and 10. It tells it like this, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, let's all say that last part together. One, two, three. You will be saved. Oh, we can do better than that. One, two, three. You will be saved. Let me tell you something. Churches all across this world are full of dead people right now. People who flock to church because this is what we do. And I'm telling you right now that the greatest news that all everyone who's spiritually dead can know is that you can go from death to life. You can go from warning sign to welcome in sign. You can go from dead man walking to living man making much of Jesus. All of that stuff is possible. Why? Because of Jesus. In fact, verse 13 says this, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now listen to me. If we lived with this in mind, then we would be a whole lot more excited about Jesus than more than just Easter Sunday. And there would be a world of difference because we would be living the things that we say we have believed in faith. It is through faith that you are saved. It is through faith that the warning sign is removed and the welcome sign is placed there at the doormat. And someday Jesus is going to come back. And he's taking everyone who had faith in Jesus with him home to the original place where we were meant to be. All of creation is heading back to the beginning. How God, he's going to put everything back to how it was supposed to be in the end. And the end result is two camps. I'm going to go back to be home where I always was created to be, or I'm going to go and choose my own thing. And God's like, if that's what you want to do, that's great. By the way, I cannot be there. I can't. I can't. Many years ago, I was introduced to a kid's book. And it has become my all-time favorite kid's book. All-time. I read this about five years ago on Easter Sunday here. I think it was our second Sunday ever at South Lakes as a church. And this little book really portrays in a much simpler way <laughs> what I've just talked about. And so if you will... Welcome to Pastor Joey's reading time. And I would like to read for you this book, and it's called The Garden, The Curtain, and The Cross. Go ahead, Mark. Just watch up on the screen. A very long time ago, right here in this world, there was a garden. And in the garden, everything was wonderful. The world was full of laughing and playing and smiling and fun. There was nothing bad ever, and there was no one sad ever. And you know what? Best of all, God was there. He had made it all. He was in charge of it all. He loved it all. And people could see God. 
and they could speak to God, and they could just enjoy being with God. It was wonderful to live with God. But then, one day, the people did a terrible, terrible thing. They decided they did not want to do what God said anymore. They decided they wanted a world without God in charge. God has a word for this, and he calls it sin. And sin literally spoils everything. So sin has no place in God's wonderful garden. God said to the people, you can't live with me in my garden anymore. And he sent them outside. To show the people they had to stay outside, God put some mighty warrior angels in front of the garden. The angels were like a big keep out sign. Now, things were sometimes bad and people were sometimes sad, but people still kept sinning because they didn't want God to be in charge. So no one could come into God's wonderful place. God said, because of your sin, you cannot come in. Well, God wanted people to remember, it is so, so wonderful to live with him, but because of your sin, you cannot come in. So he told the people to build a special building called his temple where he would live. And in the middle of the temple was the most wonderful place in the entire world, the place where God was with nothing bad and nothing sad. It was all very, very exciting. But then God told people to put a big curtain around this wonderful place. The curtain had pictures of warrior angels on it. It was like a big keep out sign. And for hundreds and hundreds of years, the temple curtain reminded people that God said, it is wonderful to live with him, but because of your sin, you cannot come in. Well, babies became grownups and they had babies and those babies became grownups and they had babies and then those babies became grownups and, well, you you get the point. They had babies. Hundreds of summers and winters passed by And the keep-out curtain stayed in the temple. But then, one day, God's Son came to live in this world as a person. And he was called Jesus. And Jesus always did what God said. Jesus never sinned. And Jesus visited the temple where the keep-out curtain hung. And he knew that things were sometimes bad and sometimes people were sad. But Jesus said that God had sent him to open the way back to God's wonderful place where there would be nothing bad and no one would ever be sad. But here's the thing. People still did not want to let God be in charge. So, they decided to put Jesus on a cross to die. It was the most bad thing that had ever happened in the history of the world. It was the most sad day of all time. But Jesus had a plan. He had always planned to die on the cross 
And what a strange plan. Why would God's son plan to die? On the cross, Jesus took our sin, all the bad things we do and all the sad things they cause. Jesus took them all from us. And when he did this, something amazing, something astonishing, something astounding happened. The curtain tore in half. God had ripped up the keep out sign. God's wonderful place was open again because Jesus died. We can all go in. But after Jesus died, his friends put him in a tomb and they were very sad. For two days, nothing happened. But then the next morning, Jesus' friends went to see his body in the tomb. And you know what? It was not there. A little later on, Jesus' friends were all together and suddenly Jesus was there too, but he was alive. Suddenly his friends weren't so sad anymore. Now they were so, so happy. God had brought Jesus back to life so that he could live in God's wonderful place forever. And Jesus has sent everyone an invitation to come and live with him there too. In fact, Jesus tells us, God says, it is wonderful to live with him. Because of your sin, you can't come in. But I died on the cross to take your sin. Now listen, church, so that all of my friends can now come in. We can live with God forever. There will be nothing bad and no one will ever be sad again. We will see God and we will speak to God and, well, we will just enjoy being with God just as he always planned for it to be. It will be wonderful to live with him and it's all because of Jesus. Now, church, listen to this last line. We will say every day, thank you, Jesus. You are amazing. And you can start saying that very same thing today. Now listen. There is a problem. And the problem is simply this. You will never be good enough to be able to get back into God's presence. And Jesus knew that from the, or God knew that from the beginning. So when he banished man from the, from the presence of God, remember, for his own good, to keep him out from where he wasn't belong, doesn't belong anymore and to protect him from, from bad things happening, when he put the giant curtain up in front of the throne room of God, he did it all for our, for, for our good. Why? Because he loved us. Because he did not want separation to be the end result of the pinnacle of his creation. But it's what you do with Jesus that matters. Listen, I'm sure that you all are great folks. I'm sure that if you have kids, that you try to be the best parents that you can be. I'm sure that you try to honor your father and mother. I bet you probably work diligently at, at work. You probably would help your neighbors out if they needed it. And I'm glad for all those things. But none of that stuff will get you to where you need to be. The problem is not that you're a good person. The problem is that you'll never be good enough. 
because of sin. It's good to live in the presence of God, but because of sin, you can't come in. But Jesus came to rip up the sign and replace it with a welcome mat that says, come on, come on. He did that for you. And that was always the plan. It's always the plan. So there's three types of people in this room. The first type is this, that you have never done anything with Jesus. You've never come to a place where you're like, well, I I do believe that Jesus was the son of God. I do believe that he took away my sins. I have made him king of my life. Your, your, Your eternal destination is the opposite of where God is. The second type of person in this room is this, is that you, you, you've, had a, you've had a faith moment, but you sure can't tell it in your life. You sure can't tell it. You go, but you don't know what kind of good person I am. I don't have to know what kind of good person you are. I don't. The question is this. If we put you up in a lineup of 10 people with some of your closest friends and said, could you point out the Christians in this, in this lineup? Would they even point you out? Would they even know? And by the way, just because you go to church every now and then, just because you work, we have a lot of teachers that work at private Christian schools. We got nonprofit people that work for good godly organizations. And we got everyone and anyone in between. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. How has your life been transformed because of Jesus? And if the, if the answer is, well, it really hasn't. You got problems. You got problems. Because the Jesus that I follow after says, I came to give you abundant life and to change your life. Andrew Bailey, the firefighter that came up Friday night of our last night of our big tent revival for our Passion Week, came up to me and he was just bawling. And I've known Andrew a long time. I've known him since he was a snotty little college kid. And I remember sitting in college class, not being his teacher, and he would just challenge. And I would be like, man, you just keep pressing in. He helped start this church seven years ago. He calls me every now and then. He says, hey, I'm diving into God's word. And, and I just have questions about this. And Friday he comes up and he's just got, I mean, Andrew's a big guy. He, I mean, not like, he's just, he's a firefighter. And he is just bawling. And I go, what's going on, bud? He goes, I'm just so tired of being angry all the time. And I'm so tired of living a lie. Because I gave my life to Jesus tonight because I'm ready to let it go and let him be in charge. And that's what a transformed life looks like. Where we say, you can have it. It's yours. And you're going to be kidding yourself if I would say everyone in this room, if you are a believer, that you live that way. So the first one is that you've never done anything with Jesus before. The second one is that you have done something, but your life doesn't reflect that at all. The third one is this, is that you live every day with the resurrection in mind knowing that I have a limited amount of time and I want to be the best Christ follower. Now, will you be perfect? No. Are you going to, like if you give your life to Jesus today, will you be a, a great dad automatically? No. Will you be a, 
will your anger just magically dissolve? No. Will you still mess up? Yes. So why, why would I do it? Did, did you hear me about the keep out signs? Because you're separated from God. You need to give your life to him. So this morning, I'm going to ask you just a couple questions. The first question is this. Which sign are you facing right now? There's only two choices. Keep out or welcome in. That's it. My friend Andrew chose the welcome in sign Friday. So that's the first question. Which which sign are you facing? The second question is this. If you go, well, I know that I'm looking at the welcome sign, but my life, let's just be honest, it's a joke. It's just a joke. Then I would say, you probably need to spend a little bit more time talking to God about that and say, man, how can I start prioritizing my life in such a way that my life can begin reflecting what I say is in my heart? 2 Corinthians tells us that we are being changed from one degree to the next into the glory of God to look more like Jesus. Can you say that about yourself? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? I'm going to ask you these two questions one more time. The first one is this. If you would say this morning, hey, you know what, Pastor? I'm looking at a keep out sign because I've never come to a place where I've asked Jesus into my heart I've never come to a place where I truly have had faith in him. If that's you this morning, and I'm, look, I'm, I'm looking, the band, they're, they're checked out, I promise. It's just me. Would you raise your hand so I know how to pray for you? If you would say, I've never placed my faith in Jesus before, would you just raise your hand tall, high, proud and tall so I can see it, please? Second question, if you would say, you know what, I am looking at the welcome sign, but if I'm going to be honest, my life doesn't really reflect that. Would you raise your hand so I know how I can pray for you? Okay, see hands. Okay. Father, I come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. And Father, the first group I pray for are those that need to make things right with you. And if you raised your hand, or maybe you just didn't for whatever reason, but you know in your heart that things aren't right, then Father, I pray that you would work in their hearts right now. And I pray that they would just have an honest conversation with you. And they would believe that Jesus came to make a way. And I pray that they would have a conversation with you just like you and I are talking right now, Father. And they would just confess, you know what, my sin is keeping me away from you. And they would admit that Jesus is the only one that could do anything about it. And then they would ask for forgiveness. And they would ask for you to become king of their life. And Father, Luke 15 tells us that there's rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. And so, Father, I pray that people would give their lives to Jesus this morning. Father, I pray for the second group, those that go, you know what? 
yeah, I'm looking at a welcome sign, but my life is a joke. Christ is the farthest thing from my mind. I think about him on Easter. I think about him when things are going poorly, but when it comes to everyday life, I just don't really give him a whole thought. God, I pray for the full weight of conviction to fall upon them. And I pray that you would break hardened hearts. And I pray that those that say they have faith would desire to live out with that hope every day. I pray for a room full of Andrew Bailey's. Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about South Lakes Church, go to slchurch.life. Thank you.